This is the At 530 on Main podcast. I'm Sean Collins. And I'm Mike Davis. And we're here to discuss the convergence of digital and physical experiences in today's world. With Extend Group as an expert in designing online experiences and VPS Architecture, an expert on creating physical experiences, you will hear unique discussions on technology, theory, and more that merges our separate areas of expertise into one podcast experience. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy today's At 530 on Main podcast episode. Welcome to the At 530 on Main podcast here in the Extension Studio at of course, 530 on Main at Extend Group. Uh, I'm Sean Collins, founder of Extend Group. I have uh, Josh Armstrong with us today in the studio and Mike Davis from VPS Architecture. Mike, how you doing? Doing good. Excited to hear all the great things that going on in Evansville. Yeah. So today we have in the Extension Studio, we have Josh Armstrong, who is the president of the Downtown Economic Improvement District, or EID. EID is the largest uh, such business improvement district in Indiana, containing over 454 parcels uh, in 110 city blocks. That's a <laughs> Didn't know downtown had a hundred. Our area was a hundred and ten. So that's that's. Uh, I'm educated here as we get started. The EID contains three of Evansville's five largest property employers. The annual assessments range from forty two cents to sixty three thousand dollars. That's a very large difference, and I'm sure that's a different experience to manage. He founded and serves as a consultant on the newly formed Downtown Evansville Community Development Corporation. The CDC was formed to accelerate real estate development in the downtown area through acquisition, financing, managing, and other activities of distressed or troubled properties. Prior to EID and CDC, uh, Josh directed the Southwest Indiana Chambers Downtown Alliance, which provided businesses and developer support, creating events and managing the 2016 Downtown Evansville Master Plan update process. Uh, he has owned two restaurants in Evansville. He served as the general manager of several cheesecake factories and restaurants in Los Angeles. He feels his work is guided by a belief that people live their best lives in urban areas, allowing a high degree of daily interaction with their fellows. And Josh is a downtown Evansville resident. He's a native of Pasadena, California, and a graduate of UCLA. Here in Evansville, Indiana, he's been here since 2005. He is the um, immediate past chair of the Arts Council of Southwest Indiana. He's also a really nice guy. He's a community advocate. Uh, Josh, welcome to At 530 on Main. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So all the way from Pasadena, California. Yeah. Like talking yeah. about experiences. There's one experience that we, you know, hear every year on, is it New Year's? Yeah, it's New Year's. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, it's hard to avoid that when you live there, um, but I really only saw the parade, I think, twice in my life. Really? Yeah, it's a, it's it's pretty crazed. Yeah. So as a hometown member of it, it's not the experience everyone else sees on the TV. I'm sure it brings in a lot of people, a lot of uh, infrastructure moved. Uh, Correct. Yeah, there's, of course, all the bleachers and things that w would go in on Colorado Boulevard. Um, there's also the process where the floats get put together, where uh, a few times as, uh, as as a young person involved with our church, we would, be, you know, go and 
do various pieces, like you're in charge of the sunflower seeds that become this piece of the float. But it's a great selling tool, but over 100 30 years, I think, the parade's been going on. It's a great thing to hang your hat on, something like that. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I've been really impressed with uh, what you're doing with EID here in, in downtown Evansville. Being a business that sits on the corner of 6th and Main, uh, the way in which uh, the Main Street corridor is coming together and the experiences that you're creating for us. I saw a quote, I think it was last year when we started, we had the big nutcrackers and you had yeah. done, you said, Evansville, we're going to have nice things. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated that quote. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what EID does and, and how you're impacting uh, downtown and surrounding areas. Sure. So an economic improvement district, um, there's over a thousand of these across the, the United States. What we do is we provide the benefits and services that property owners want that are beyond the city's capacity to do. And so typically in most areas and for us, Specifically, it works like this. A petition process occurred where a majority of the property owners said, we are willing to pay for additional services and sign us up. Yep. And once we achieved a, a, a threshold of a majority of property owners, we went to city council where through a unanimous action in November 2017, city council said, hey, we agree with this. These people want to pay for, the, for this. Yeah. We aggregate those individual funds. And then our effort is to provide a balanced return for all those property owners. And as you said, it, it runs from $0.42 cents to $63,000 per parcel. Yeah. So we have different things that we're providing for different property owners. But overall, the work kind of comes into three sort of general areas. The first is clean and safe. How does it look? So in there is snow removal, it's landscaping, th those kinds of pieces. Then we have events and marketing. How do we tell our story to the broader community? And then the other piece is advocacy and business recruitment, developer recruitment, the, the work that we had been doing before, how do we how do we sort of um, keep that and keep new things coming into downtown? So those are sort of the three areas. Um, the property owner at 42 cents probably doesn't want graffiti on their utility box. Right. The property owner at 63,000 wants to create a great experience for their current and future employees and for their consumers or their board or their shareholders, whoever it may be that they're working to appeal to. So how did that transform from, is it an evolution, if you will, from CDC to the EID or is it, does the CI, uh, CDC still exist? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different yeah. letters there. So the CDC is, is the new organization. So the CDC definitely exists, mm -hmm. but it has a different governance structure and different financial structure. So they're completely separate organizations. The CDC does not have to provide proportional benefit to the ratepayers because it is not funded by the ratepayers. We funded the CDC startup through foundational support from two of our largest employers in the area who wanted to accelerate real estate growth in, in downtown, yeah. following models we've seen in communities from Albuquerque to San Diego to Erie, Pennsylvania, to most um, dramatically in, in Cincinnati, right up the river. Um, we went to those communities. We saw what they did with their development corps, and we emulated that. Very nice. Very nice. So the, ex the experience of, as you said, the, the $0.42 cent 
owner versus the 63,000 is is different, but it sounds like the collaborative group is is really being impacted to improve, you know, the experience of our area. Correct, because we, well our board has a wide range of property owners on it. Of course, the $63,000 a year people want to be on that board. Um, And then we have a condominium owner who pays $100 a year on the board and everything in between. We have nonprofits on our board. Um, We have ecclesiastical organizations have been involved. So we try to make sure that we're getting everyone's piece so that we can provide these services that are appropriate. But while our work is... um, we have to be mindful that our work is not just impacting these property owners, but has a broader benefit for our community. And so the person walking down Main Street that sees, you know, today it it snowed. Right. There's no snow on the sidewalks in downtown Evansville. How does that happen? You know, they, they don't need to understand the mechanisms behind it. Right. Um, they need to have a great experience where they feel intrigued, fascinated, comforted connected where they, where they have these feelings when they're in downtown Evansville that are separate from how our property owners need to feel which is that we're increasing the value of their of their asset that we are protecting the value of their asset that we are driving business to their asset so two different things but they kind of all work together so um it, it's it's it is a bit unique how how really the, the the broader impact is not really the people that are paying for it, yet right. the indirect impact is much stronger to those people that are paying for it. Well, and that ties into, and you can talk a little bit about that, how the 2016 master plan is being utilized. Correct. And the community needs to know that because yeah. it's been a few years. I think people forget. Yeah. But it's a very positive thing that that's kind of the go-to guide right now of, of what you guys are using. Yeah, so we use that tool all the time, and that, that tool had – one organizational call out, which was the formation of the improvement district, and took us a little over a year to get that done, which is incredibly quick. But we had known that we would be moving in that direction for a long time. We were having conversations for two years before then. The other f- sort of four areas, some have had more aggressive work done towards them. So, an active Main Street. Main Street now, Main Street four years ago, there's just really, it's like it's a different place. Yes. Uh, we're about to have, um, and by Main Street, we can also talk, you know, a little, going out a couple blocks. You know, we're, we're um, we have 176 units of housing under construction today, today. Right now in downtown Evansville, there's $140 million in active permitted construction happening today. So, nice. yeah. So I think that we've we've done that piece. Yeah. Um, you know, when when we talk about the riverfront, there a traffic study was executed. You know, some things are our role to advocate for. We're not going to be the organization that um, has the funds ever to change the flow of traffic on on Riverside Drive. Right. But we can advocate for what our property owners feel is the best use of that space. Um, the NOCO Makers District, um, we have seen the renovation and lease up of the woolen mills. Um, so there's the, the first thing. Pearl Laundry Building has been in and out of contract um, two times. For There's still some issues to resolve there. And then we have the first housing being built there at the former Nabisco factory. So things are happening in NOCO. So I think we're doing 
phenomenal at pulling down this this tool. I mean, you know, the, the taxpayers paid for that tool. We, it's our responsibility to use it, and I think we're doing a, a, a great job in in creating the kind of downtown that it called for. So, as we get into the discussion, you've heard the word experience. Uh, you've used it. I've used it. Um, it. It's really what we talk about here at at five thirty on Main is that experience uh, of the individual as they either walk into a space or they experience something online or how the convergence of those two things have actually happened today. Tell us what the word experience means to you. Well, I, first of all, I, I think experience is an emotion. And just like I think, you know, service is an emotion. These other words that you can break down into into processes or steps, yeah, that's important. But if I don't feel something, what's the point? Right. You know, I mean, that's what experience experience is. I need to be thrilled or delighted or scared or 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 um, intrigued or something. There needs to be something going on there, whether that's something that's coming through my phone or on a movie screen. Or when I'm walking around, like, how do I feel about this right. right now? So, you know, we we work to build unique experiences. We want there to be something fascinating every 50 or 75 feet so that people continue to move. You know, if, some, if something's 150 feet away, you, you may not see it. You may not walk down the street. So, how do we keep adding things so that – so, your interest is awakened – when you're in downtown Evansville, you see something that you may not have noticed before, and you walk that extra, let's say, half block, and on the way past, you see consumer opportunities, employment opportunities, investment opportunities, and you get to interact with your fellows who are on the sidewalk. So, that that to me is sort of like our, our job is to create fascinating experiences for right. people. So. That's something that didn't always exist in downtown Evansville, or it's been uh, it's been absent for a while. Yeah, which which one? I think Evansville, downtown Evansville, and and the whole community. There was a time when these things were allowed to sort of process on their own. Yes, and the result of that is no nothing happens. Mm-hmm. You know, if and and I told a property owner a few weeks ago, if nothing changes, nothing changes. The reason your building is like this because it hasn't changed on the inside with the ownership. Right. So as a community, we were we were content to allow things to just sort of be. And what what we saw with that, whether we recognized it or not, is an increased diminution of our value as a, as a region relative to other regions that were putting effort into these things. Yeah. And um, really, the 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 current administration and the previous administration. And now we're seeing some activity on, um, you know, and recently on with county government that sort of understands that we we have got to change, or someone needs to you know we need to figure out who's going to turn out the lights. Yeah. In in thirty years or forty years, so we have to do this. Great downtowns don't just happen. Great communities don't just happen. There's a plan, and there's working towards that plan. And then you move along, and then it's like, well, is this working? Is this where we want to be? Is this what we want? Pivot, maybe, refine, probably, and keep moving towards this kind of community that attracts people, that retains people. Yeah. So when you're looking at – you come in, and and you set up, and you're a – you know, a key uh, influence and in how this all starts and, and you start to look at downtown. Yeah. Do you 
from a, in development, we once had waterfall like development where you go through ideation and then everything is documented and there's a statement of work and then there's, you know, then after the statement of work is completed, then you go through the design and you go through the experience of what the design is going to be and that's all documented and then you go to the next thing and then that's handed off to the interaction developers and then they put the front end together while the back end is you know being developed uh online and then all and then it's a waterfall step uh, in a process um today we have agile multiple things happening at multiple times so when you when you see this coming together did you look at properties like one you know did you identify like key pieces did the that really these are the things we're going to attack or was it an agile plan that we know where we we have a vision of where we want to go and and we need to uh, pick and choose uh, what our rocks well, are. I was, I'll, I'll piggyback on that because as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, one, I think one of the key pieces that happened with everything from day one was community involvement. It's pretty transparent. You could learn about the process. You could find out what's going on. And the community could really understand it yeah. from an evolution. It wasn't just a clip on the news that, hey, there, some somebody somewhere is doing something. Right. And you're right. like, I don't know what that is. And <laughs> so really, there, the, the master plan is really the statement of work that came out. Of a, of a process right. with over 2,500 citizen input, input points on there. Yeah. So in between our almost endless series of, of roundtables with groups that we had public sessions where we could meet uh, with citizens one-on-one and and visitors too. And then we had an online survey that was in both English and Spanish to try to get as many points of input that came in there. You know, and I, I'm thinking about like, where is that point? And that where we decided, okay, this is the first thing we need to do. Yeah. Well, you know, deciding what the first thing you need to do is in a downtown situation with multiple owners and and on and on, it was became it, it is challenging. We knew the EID had to be formed, or just like every other downtown organization we had, we had a three year shelf life. And so, you know, when when we're funded by voluntary support, at a certain point, there's donor fatigue. So we knew that that was kind of we were on our way towards that. But I think a lot about something that happened during the master plan project and and even though this is an area that we a, a place we haven't gotten to yet it is first and foremost the the most important thing that we're doing and that's the work that we're doing on 4th and Main so the CDC has gotten the tower under contract yes. we're continuing to work with a neighboring property owner to get some other things done there but that park we've got to get that park so we have a center of our of our of our region and during the planning process in November of 2015, I believe, we came to work one morning after hearing about the nightclub attacks in Paris. Yes. And more specifically was the response of the Parisian people and the tourists that were in Paris that day, that the, the, the night after that, they went back out and they filled every restaurant. They filled every nightclub. They filled every cafe. They walked through the parks and they said, screw you, you're not taking our city from us. They had a place to go that could do that. And we were wondering, we were sitting in a conference room talking about that. And and one of our consultants said, you know, where would people go in Evansville if, if we had, God forbid, something like this happened here? And while this is kind of a, a, a smart aleck who said this, um, it really isn't 
too far off the map. It is not an incorrect assumption, but somebody said we'd probably meet in a Walmart parking lot. And that just, I mean, you're laughing because it's it, it could be a little bit true. We don't have a center of our community. Yeah. And that is really when you see how the whole plan lays out and how our work lays out, it's all oriented about creating that place where as a community, we can heal, we can celebrate, we can cheer, we can demand. We don't have that place. Four Freedoms Monument is cut off from the rest of the city by a highway, basically. Right. It's a nice place to have, mm-hmm. but it isn't a place where we can have large assemblages of, of individuals who are there to, to do those important things in a democracy yeah, and those important human things. And so, yeah, I, I wish I had some work going on on 4th and Main. I know what's coming. I can't talk about it yet. Yeah. But it is moving forward. And as it does, it will be that place where if 50,000 people show up, they just take over the street. Right. But in the center of that is that spot that people can can have that interaction. Well, I can tell you, I've I've been uh, with Extend. Where this is our twelfth year, and we've been downtown for a majority of those twelve years. And I was in that uh, that tower uh, on the top floor when I started Extend, and then we've been at the former Welburn Hospital. Uh, we're now at five thirty. And I can tell you the downtown experience, you know, as an active participant of, of voice sessions and some other things, it's amazing to see the transformation that has happened, I mean, in the last five years. Mm-hmm. So if you would, I mean, lead the listeners, if you would, or uh, the viewers that are going to be watching, lead us through what has happened in down the down what is the downtown experience today versus what it was five years ago so i i think we were setting up five years ago about 10 years ago when the wines apple administration began um laying the financial groundwork so that property owners could build housing in downtown above their existing not just the regulatory and financial groundwork so that that could happen. So there was a time when we, if you had a, a, a piece of property on, let's say, Main Street, you could not have residential. On it the would second. have been a very challenging thing to do. Okay. So if we go back to the nineteen or to the 1960 census, there were about 6,000 people living in the census tract. Um, there are now about 400. We're about, well, yeah, because of where the, the lines shifted a little bit. The early 60s saw really a wiping clean, all the 1960s, and not just us, but a lot of other communities of the kind of mixed-use development that was natural in downtown. And in our case, we also lost a large apartment community with a corporate move and a one tower came down and another went up. So we had some other things that that got us to where we were, but the the that wiping clean – um, without new building coming behind it, because whether that was the time we did it, um, what, whatever, it just didn't didn't happen. So the Wines Apple administration did, I think, two really important things for downtown, and the the private sector was doing things with um, the Vectran, you know, Siggy Co becoming Vectran, the new tower. Uh, whether you like where it's placed or not, it kept a lot of employees in downtown. The growth of Old National, of course, Tropicana, all of these things were important. But the the Ford Center, huge impact on downtown. 400,000 visitors a year coming there. That means 400,000 400, beers or coffees or right. meals, right? 
and also this introduction of housing back into downtown. Then our our current administration continued an emphasis on downtown that at times is unpopular and unfashionable with the rest of the city. They don't understand um, the importance of downtown. They don't understand that as a as a taxpayer, whether you ever use downtown, the best place for your dollars to go are downtown because it will pay for itself in a way that um, underwriting sprawl never can. Right. It just it just the the numbers will never work out on the taxes. So the the current administration has always had an emphasis on downtown and the arts and quality of place throughout our city, of course, but. You know, the medical school, that was a shot in the arm. Now, you know, some people think, oh, it's going to bring thousands of students. It's never going to bring thousands of students. What it's going to do is develop hundreds of physicians who will practice here when our current group of physicians retire. Hugely important. It will attract researchers and research organizations. Hugely important. So, but it also took... You know, we had a multi-block car dealer in the middle of our downtown, and now we have a double-tree hotel. We have the the 140,000-square-foot um, Stone Family Medical Center, beautiful building, demonstrating high-quality contemporary architecture. We have the new Deaconess Clinic that's being built, again, demonstrating high-quality contemporary architecture built with high-quality materials that would never happen if that was being – well, it's Deaconess. They probably would, but – if that was happening in some other part of the community, it might be Ephus versus Stone. Right. And so these are buildings built for the ages. That starts sending messages to people. It develops an experience for people. You know, we view the medical campus as having a really a very distinct tone from two blocks away on Main Street. And yes. it's always going to have a corporate feel because that's intentional, because that's what we want to attract there. We come to Main Street. Here we have lots of new businesses going into historic spaces. So it has a more playful, historic. Somebody told me they were here for an event and said Main Street looked like a Hallmark um, Christmas movie. <laughs> you know, that's what happens on Main Street. Right. Riverside is going to always have a more, uh, a greater emphasis on recreation, walking, running, et cetera, yeah. playing in a park. It's on, it's out of the district, but look at the look at the spectacular success of Kids Kingdom. Excuse yes. me, Mickey's Kingdom. Kingdom. You know how how important that has been for um, not just the kids that live a few blocks away, but people driving in. Yes. Yeah. So, and where do those people go after they play? Well, they want to get something to eat, so they're going to go to Licks and get some get sandwiches and choco creams or something. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of this. Ongoing, um, like almost at some point, we want to be a juggernaut where the development feeds itself and where it keeps spinning and moving, where entitlements for building are not necessarily financial incentives, but the fact that we'll allow something to be built. When we get to that level, we'll know we're really successful. I think there's two things. It's, It's that where the incentives really shrink. Incentives, and I should say for the listeners, based on future taxes, not current. So this isn't the city opening up dollars. It's a new development that wasn't there. When we get to the point where the market almost self-regulates with these things have to be high quality. We have to have high quality tenants. And how that drives it, that's going to be one. And I think the other thing that will tell us that we've arrived is 
something that I am trying to work with a few people on is starting to lay the groundwork for a spec class A office building. Okay. Because I know of over 150,000 square feet in active class A searches, and we turn away potential employers all the time because we don't have any class A space in our downtown. Wow. Yeah. That's something I, I'm sure our listeners don't know that that's in the in. I don't want to say the works, but it's yeah. in the, well, you know, where. Yeah, we're, who are, that's just onto the next community, onto the next community. It's not, yes, we have this available. Or Correct. Whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. just that experience is, they call Evansville or they call Josh and say, do you have this? No. They yeah, we on. need, we need 60,000 square feet within two years. And what do we say? I'm so sorry. Sorry. We'd look have at, to build look that. Look us up and, yeah. And they're like, you can just hear the phone. Okay, yeah. thank you. And then that's on to the next community. Right. That's ready to welcome them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a few additional pieces of development that are going on. The post house, right? Correct. Recently completed Y. The the, re- the new YMCA. Yes. Um, that's beautiful. You know, housing really drives a lot of what we do. You know, we, we, we want to be a neighborhood and we have to have people here. And if you want a 18-hour-a-day downtown – uh, I, I'm reasonable. I don't think we'll ever have a 24-hour day downtown. We don't. We don't yeah, need that. But we can have an 18-hour day downtown. But we have to have people. We have, we need a few thousand people living in our downtown. And that number that I'll share with you is: we are looking beyond what is already under construction for an additional 1,200 units of market-rate housing, and we have an almost limitless demand for affordable housing, whether that's workforce or truly, you know, low-income housing. So, we could fill every block down here, and within a period of, a relatively quick period of time, it would fill with tenants. Um, But specifically, that that magic number we're looking for is 1,200 additional units. So, early on when I introduced you, um, I said uh, manager of several uh, – you owned two restaurants and yeah. then, you know, the manager of several cheesecake factories, high consumer experience uh, um, there, yeah. right, in, in California when that organization is, I'm sure, exploding. Everybody's really – you know, you come into town, that's where you want to go. Yeah. So tell us how uh, your experience within that service industry has, has impacted where you're at today. I, I think uh, – most important, the most important lesson I learned out of all of that is the 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 need for people to be in a community within a community, and even at cheesecake factories, as busy as we are, and sometimes serving seventeen hundred people, two thousand people a day, we had a community. We had people that ate there every day. We had people that ate two meals a day there. We had a group of people that worked there that this was their tribe, and I think. People, particularly when you get into a, a market as big as Los Angeles, and, and I ran, at the time, one of our largest cheesecake factories, um, just a, a monster of a restaurant. But yeah. but it was really important. People were seeking that connection. They were seeking someone to look them in the eye, to make them not be a number, and a place where they knew that they would feel comfortable. And and I think that that continues to drive a lot of my work. It did as an, as an owner of, of the restaurants that I had here. Um, yeah. Last year, I I even went to a funeral of one of our regulars. You know, it was and we've been closed. I closed that restaurant in 2010. So, I, it's there. There are this idea of a community within a community. So downtown, yeah, we're everyone's neighborhood, but we also want to be a neighborhood for about 2,500 residents that have a high degree of connection with each other. 
and we want to be a neighborhood of 15,000 workers that have a high degree of connection with each other, and they have that really high connection with the, the people that help them, that take care of them. So that's the person who sells them coffee, that learns their name and their order, and knows what it, what they want. You know, the, the these these are as as our world becomes both bigger and smaller at the same time. Yeah. You know, that's, there's still that really strong need for, for human people, you know, human stuff. And I, I told you, Sean, I wanted to talk about the why. I'm going to just yeah, jump right in here right and do in it. There, yeah. My God, I'm nothing without my fellows. I know that. And there have been times in my life where I've been hopelessly lost. And the hand of God never reached down and moved me and put me someplace safe or, or filled a need that I had. But there were people there that did that for me. That were put there for me. And my why is replacing, is 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 setting up the next person to help someone else. Like, yes. So it isn't my job necessarily to reach out to each person to replicate the 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 person that is in in one case saved my life, the person who in one case saved a limb for me in an accident. You know, the I can't replicate that, but what I can do is make sure that there's as many people possible that are near that, so when it happens again, the person who knows how to do that is there. Right. And that's my job. That's my why. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty um, exciting to get to go to work, and and work on your why. Yes. And uh, well, and when- get paid for it, and and get access in the community and all and you know I, I I know I have a high prestige job all that stuff's great but man you know someday someone a student at signature school is going to do something that changes the world and it's going to be because they were here on main street yeah. and did I have a piece in that yeah I don't know what it is I, I don't need to know what it is I just keep working towards that in lots of different ways and that's a very Im- important piece is, as, as today we become more and more, you know, tactic driven and this, this, this app is going to change the world or, or whatever that is. When individuals come to us today, it's like, oh, I want an app or I want a social media strategy. Or I, I just look and say, you know, what does your tribe look like? Mm-hmm. Um, because it is, we're at the end of the day, we're all people talking to people. Yeah. And if, you know, we can have a great marketing tactic that's going to bring in more customers and bring in, you know, that bottom line development we need. But if there's not a tribe that is connected and that is your brand, that is your product. And what you're talking about, your why is is very connected. Like that's not I'm going to bring six hundred and $42,000 of, of investment for this one property today. It's no, it's far beyond. I mean, that is a goal, I'm sure, of, of bringing and, it and, in. And it is a goal for it mine, is a goal, too. Yeah. But it's connected to impacting the greater good of, of the community. Yeah. And being able to know that, uh, that once again, it's not just the building. It's who the who the building has walking through it, yeah. how maybe even the individual found that building to invest in it, whether that be online or whatever that is, but the holistic experience that brings that all all together. And I think today in service, we forget about that. Yeah. It's just the next hot button or the, you know, 
you know, bring in a put a top golf or whatever it is. Right, right. And that and that all sounds great. And they see things in other communities. And yeah, that's great. I want to hear about it. I, I don't know if that's always the the right answer for Evansville right now. I, I may not even know what that answer is, but well, I I, I was going to say piggyback on what you're talking about is, but it, to me, it's important authenticity. Mm-hmm. And being exactly. authentic is yeah. like I think people because of our phones disconnected, they want that so much more. So if your why is just the story you made up because you want to sell me something, yeah, I think it's very transparent. Yes, but when you're genuine, your why shows in just like you how you are every day and how you present yourself comes through. Even if people don't realize it consciously, they yeah. know subconsciously. It's and genuine. I think that we have that that artificial history. Sold to us constantly. Yeah. Yes. And it's in successful places. You know, we can go to Nashville and look at the Gulch and say, oh, this is really cool. This is, well, the Gulch is owned by, for the most part, one real estate firm. And you think it's a right. neighborhood and it isn't. It's artificial. Is it successful right. now? Heck yeah. Does it have 100 years of staying power? I would probably say not. And you brought up a point that, that this holistic thing of people and, you know, someone seeing the building and things. When you look at our branding, we try always, if there's a photograph of a building, there's a person there. We, yeah. we try to never disconnect people and buildings. And that's what we, we talk about that all the time. People in buildings, people in buildings, people in buildings. You know, because that is, that's what we are. You know, we, we don't, yeah, we have the development corp. We're doing buildings. Yeah, that's great. But really the EID and again, like the why is that space between one building and the next. That's where I that's where my work is. The sidewalk across the street to the next sidewalk. Yes. And, to, and to where that facade is and how do I create in that space? So let's circle back around away from yeah. personal experience and kind of the people connectivity because I'm always fascinated too by what's something that you would say is well designed that you use every day that maybe someone listeners like, man, I never really thought about that. And how it functions in someone's lives and helps you. You know, so to everyone listening to this and watching this, I did get some of these questions in advance. So, um, and this one is is the one that presented the most challenge because the device, the thing that I used to think was the best design piece of of the, the most significantly designed tool that I had, um, I no longer feel is the case, and that's that's my iPhone, yeah. and. I, I do not like the iPhone X. I do not think it's a well-designed piece of equipment. I hate that the camera sticks out of the back, yeah. that it mm-hmm. spoils the line of that phone. It And it's something that used to just bring me so much pleasure, particularly when I had an iPhone 4 with the double glass and then that simple line of the brushed metal. Yes. My gosh, to like hold something that beautiful in my hand every day that also did everything it told me it would do yes. was was a value. So, well, I, I yeah, I, I miss that. I, I don't know. I think something that I that is kind of an Apple product that is super important to me that I use all the time, and I don't drive much, but when I do, it's Apple CarPlay, I think is like really what the old Apple products used to be like. Super intuitive, easy to use, keeps me from doing something stupid. I can't, I, you know, it... it takes over my life when I'm in my car and I and whenever I rent a car whenever I travel I try to always make sure that my car has Apple CarPlay Absolutely. so that it's that it is it's just it's like a perfect little thing you know <laughs> that you just plug it in and suddenly I know where I'm going 
I don't have to pick up my phone and text people. I don't have to pick up my phone to make calls. Um, I have access to my music, and it's a little bit disingenuous to be listening to the same thing somewhere else that I should be trying to absorb something local. But it allows me to do that too. So right, yeah, yeah. The the interesting thing about uh, the evolution there is, I think uh, you talk about. Was Apple, you know, it's the iMac. They created the iMac and they created the iPhone and they created the watch and the pen and the what they did really well was have a piece of software that was we we talked about this on a previous podcast, but iTunes. Like the thought that everything that they did, their software, their music, their videos, their I mean, before podcast, like all this will be distributed through one piece of software. And now how that extension of Apple Play in the car is is there is uh it is it it's it's well thought out and it's more of the user experience on someone else's device today mm-hmm. how's that going to work on the dashboard of you know uh 2018 uh nissan Sentra or whatever it is well like, from renting one it works the same as it does <laughs> on a volkswagen golf as it does on a range rover right it it it, it that's i think the magic of mm-hmm. it that yeah, it's, it's, it's like we we find that everybody wants to. I want to have this next feature. I want to do these things. Actually, as as humans, we don't like that change. It creates that friction and that uh, that rub that really brings up our angst. So, being able to see that they've thought about how it works on this, you know, this size screen versus my phone versus you know this iMac over here is is really well thought out and and the structure that's behind that I think is is very important to any design experience. So what's a space that makes you emotional or or is an experiential that you walk into every time or or one time in yeah. your life that really really inspired you? I think we're lucky that that I'm lucky because there's a space uh, near us um, designed by a very significant architect that to me is is um, really one of the most perfect buildings I've ever been in, uh, and that is the Roofless Church in New Harmony, designed by Philip Johnson. And the the when you walk into that building, if you and it's a building without a roof, but the proportions of it are so excellent. And there's something in that building or the way that the paths are laid or where the sort of view area over the field and the, the, the bottoms of the river are that compels you to walk further into the building. You're, you're moved forward through that building. And there's multiple experiences in there. You know, sometimes I come in off the backside of it where, where there's sort of a wall that blocks you from seeing it. And then there's a surprise and it just impacts me every time. Versus walking in at the end of the of the of the, I don't even want to call it a nave because that's not really the right word for it in there. But this promenade feature almost as you come in um, through the large gates that is really different from that really sort of more private experience coming in off the backside. Um, that is a is a is a building that that honestly I would. I mean, I wish I could put like an Airstream trailer in there and just have like <laughs> one warm space because it's really – except that would spoil it. Yeah. It's, it's really a spectacular piece of architecture, even separate from the art and sculpture that's in it. Even without it, you would feel human in that space because of how it's laid out. And you're mm-hmm. an architect. You understand oh, yeah. how that all works. But 
it's it's really special. Um, I I was also you know again I got these questions and I was thinking about you know places where I always feel something in a building, and um, and ironically I was thinking that I always feel them like kind of on the outside of the building more so than the inside of the building except in certain certain like ecclesiastic buildings, like I think when 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 I'm in New York City. The Metropolitan Opera. When I'm in Lincoln's Lincoln Center, and you see this, it, it's there's a feeling of anticipation on the outside of the building. Yeah, you go inside and you see all this magic stuff happening, and you know you're going to be treated to the highest level of 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 artistry in all kinds of forms. But when you're outside, the sort of neoclassic kind of 1967, 68 sort of American grandeur that is is shown there in simple, clean, modern architecture that references back to the earliest architecture through a series of arches that makes you want to walk up and go through it. And the whole way it's set on the plaza, and they've ruined the Edward Durrell Stone building that was on the other side, kind of um, beyond when they put in the Time Warner Center. I mean, thing, things change. I shouldn't say ruined, but things change. But there was this feeling of you know, that was a time of a, a lot of unrest in New York City and the rest of the world, but the people there had faith in their city, and they built something that was really different than the sort of brutalist, boxed-in buildings that you saw in a lot of other places. And it, and it appeals to me as a, as a human to want to see what's going on yeah, and explore and know that I feel, you know, safe to do that. I, th- I, I think that those are like one local and one yeah. sort of a trip that you can kind of – plan and, and no that's all yeah that i well as an architect i think space whether exterior interior is always about proportions and when it's done well nobody notices as much as when it's done poorly and then you're like they ruined it yeah like, that's a great example yeah. because a lot of times you're like what were they thinking why you know and it could have come down to cost or many different factors where you're like you just ruined this great moment that people had with the space, whether engage how they engaged with it, and so I, I think that's a pretty good statement. So how does how did now we have personal experience and kind of digital experience and now spatial experience and how does that all tie together? You know, kind of when you think about delivering what you do to the downtown community. Yeah, well, I think um, it's very important that our work is Instagrammable. It's very important to us. Yes. And we think about that, like, not just the visuals for the person that's there, but the visual for any other followers. And so, um, for instance, I think a, a great example of that would be the, the wall of light that we installed this year. And that's what I was thinking about. That I've seen it on Instagram so many times. Yeah. And, the, and a couple of the statements were, this is in Evansville? Yeah. Where is this? <laughs> and and it's the people's interaction with it yeah. because they get a personal right. interaction. And and I might, um, you know, rec- recall a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday night, I went down there and just kind of sat on a bench and watched. And hundreds of people in the course of a, the early part of an evening um, went through. It was cold. But they were there taking pictures with their with their loved ones, with their dates, with some brought professional photographers with them. Yeah. Some were just doing selfies. And um, we have seen wedding pictures done there, shot. You know, obviously, they had the ceremony and they're doing that, you know, hour of pictures or whatever going there. We've seen an engagement there. And I know that that's going to live forever. That wall of light that is only designed to last, last one year. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that's kind of like a great example oh, of how great, this yeah. all, you know, we we took advantage of a space that was dead because of a fire. That space is being reborn. There is a developer working on that space right now. But how do we, you know, what what were we able to do to activate it? We leveraged the resources that our ratepayers, our property owners provide to, you know, we told them we would give holiday decorations. That we're going to have nice things. We did that. Mm. And now, because we've done that and it was done well, even though it's simple, which is usually the best way to do, to design anything, mm-hmm. it has, it has, you know, someone will pull that out on their whatever version of a wedding photo album that we'll have in 50 years and they'll be showing their grandkids their wedding day. Yeah. And it and it's gonna they're gonna say there was this wall of light that one year and it only happened once. Yeah, and I would love to see that continue where people come to downtown. What am I gonna see this year? Yeah. yeah. What, yeah what, what what's gonna be that experience? We're thinking of that year, already. Right? Yeah. 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 What's what's the what's what's the next year look right. like? Yeah. The next experience and then has uh the digital experience and the the you know the 2019 digital world impacted the way you deliver your product well again i think it's a lot of it is looking at like how does this photograph or how does this come across um how do we storytell yeah. um uh, adam trinkle who does, who's our uh director of marketing and events you know he he has a much more playful style than i ever would and it gets a lot more engagement than anything I would. So, you know, having people there that know how to do things and and um and and sharing that, you know. And also I think it is also the emotion, you know, it's like we have to find something that connects with people. Having a, you know, a sale on socks is a great thing to share for that one particular property owner. Yeah. That's that's fine. That's that's great. It's not going to um create a sense of wonder. Yeah. It just isn't. And, you know, if our job is to change how people think about our community, you know, so that it helps me fulfill my mission, which is to bring people to the streets, then, you know, we've got to, like, tie those things together. So, we are, wow. I like to talk. I love it. We're already, <laughs> yeah. at like, uh, we're already 50 minutes in. Um, we've taken, you know, you know, we, we start with the list, but we have uh, done a really good uh, looking at it and we brought it all together without going, you know, step by step today. And, and that's just someone who knows their stuff. So wow. we appreciate you being here. Thank you. Uh, we'll wrap with a few personal questions. Yeah. Um, what person or brand do you think has the most authentic consumer experience today? Online, I, offline? Yeah, I can tell you that without, uh, without any doubt. Um, there's a, a gentleman named uh, Jeffrey Latham. He's a celebrity florist. Um, but more than that, he's the creative director of the Four Seasons Shores Saint Hotel in Paris. And if you follow them on, on social media and see what he does, it harkens back to my experience in that hotel, getting a cheeseburger at the bar in, in, a, just, in this really kind of – and it was before I even knew who this guy was – like every little visual detail connected to – this brand that you know the four seasons i always get cheeseburgers at four seasons i don't know what that is but this this brand of modern american luxury that is worldwide you know sending a message of of graciousness and subtlety and high quality 
that I think are like really the hallmarks when we look at like great American things, like Apple, for example. But here it is translated into a historic hotel. Well, you go in there, you feel special by the doorman. You feel made special by people. And then you walk in and you see this amazing architecture. And then you see what the creative director is doing, how how the brand is translating into details, even down to the towels and the uniform and the way that the employee's hair looks. Like there is not a detail in that place that is not hyper evolved to extend their brand, but it's done in a way that makes you feel great as a consumer. Yeah, uh, it's 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 exciting. So follow Jeff Latham on uh, on Instagram. Uh, he, he's he's pretty cool what he does, and he is the the inspiration for the Wall of Light. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, some work he did. So that came there from the, the Hotel Georges Sank in Paris. So uh, yeah, the uh, the one thing on your list that you're looking at next year, going, you know, this is going to. Uh, you know, take me to my next level. It's going to inspire me the most. What's the thing that's uh, on your list? To- Personally? Yeah. Um, I have some things I'm going to do around my house that are going to change kind of some, like, especially dealing with lighting that I think are going to change the way I feel about a space. Okay. So I think that that is, and it's an, it's a fairly large investment, but I think it's going to pay, as you know, as an architect, that that's like the thing people don't invest in. And I think that's going to really make a difference for me. Um, In terms of travel, I may be going to Spain this summer. It's a very touristy destination to meet my two sisters. We live all over the world now. So uh, just a chance to connect there. But I'm really fascinated to, you know, get to a few more mid-sized American cities, read and see and learn what people are doing in those places and and see if there's anything there that I can kind of bring back. Uh, I also plan on riding 2,000 miles on my bike. Oh, wow. I only hit 1,800 this year, so I'm a little deficient. So I'm going to... Um, there's two weeks left. Yeah, there's two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can go on a yeah, this is trip to Chicago yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, you know, they say there's no bad weather, just bad equipment. Right, it's like, yeah. no, there's bad weather too, you know. But um, yeah, that's, that's those are kind of the goals for next year. So, as we wrap, Josh Armstrong, how do our listeners connect with you and the IED, CDC, everything that we've talked about? How do how do they connect with you personally and then professionally? Sure. So, we have a, a one front door for everything downtown, and that's downtownevansville.com. So, go to our website, and you can see how to live here, how to find a job here, how to experience events here how to invest here, whatever you may want. And on there, you'll find a link to send me an email. Um, you could also do that directly at um, by emailing me at josh at downtownevansville.com. You know, people can reach out or look on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Instagram for me is mostly about what I'm cooking, and <laughs> which uh, is, yeah, the, mostly that. And Facebook to me is a lot of design, both rights and wrongs that I see um, from a consumer point of view, um, particularly sort of looking in the world of, of various auction sites and seeing some of the crazy things they put out there. I, I was go- I wanted to ask about that. I, I follow you on both Facebook and Instagram, and every once in a while there'll just be this item, whether it be, you know, a coffee table, but it's like, Eighteen thousand dollars, <laughs> and and you're highlighting these items. Where does that Where does that come from? Um, so that's the Wednesday wish list. Okay, <laughs> and it it comes from both an appreciation of what may be special in there, yeah. or um, 
uh, a respect for the ridiculousness of some things is is also part of it. Uh, the light that you posted the other day, and you said this, like that's the I, I want that in in my home. I yeah, want it in the office. Like, yeah. the thing was amazing. So that I had never seen those uh, Paul Koenig artichoke lamps encased in glass. And I thought that that was really special. And then I was also thinking of, oh, this is going to sound horrible. You know, the the people that post about their issues in their private life on social media and they write this and then there's like an inspirational quote. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, well, like, tell us what tell it is. What and I'm like this. <laughs> and it's like this lamp, you know, like this this lamp would solve my problems. Yeah. And um, no, that's not the lighting that I'm considering, but well, it, yeah, it won't fit quite in the space that I have No, when mind. you say that and go this, I just picture banana duct taped to a wall. Yeah. Well, That's all I think about. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah popped, and, into my, and, popped into my head. And clearly, I think that um, one of the positive things about an economic cycle that allows that kind of level of consumption is um, that it shows the ridiculousness of that level of consumption. Yeah. And so, I like that artists feel safe right now with the way things are, that they can make a living doing crazy things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but at the end of the day, I mean, there's you know somewhere working an artist who who has something else to say that we'll never see because they can't get into the gallery system right. because they're not ridiculous enough. They're not going to be at Art Basel. They're not right. going to be shown at these things. Um, and as a result, they don't get onto social media, and we don't ever see an Instagram like what this person is doing. So um, you know, go out, go to galleries when you're out and about. Uh, come come to the Arts Council, see what we have, but. You know, just keep your eyes open. There's so many fascinating things out there to see. Yeah, and I did want to touch on as we uh, as we wrap up too is like uh, I'm fascinated how many people don't realize that the master plan is free to download the PDF. Yep, and it's all it's out there. And so, um, but I talked to so many people like I've never seen it. I'm like, it's free. It's yeah. not like a hidden document somewhere. Yeah. So if anybody wanted to check out. Because we talked a lot about downtown and what's yeah. going on, I so, can see it. And and again, you know, spend some time at our website. We're very transparent. We put up our, our latest financials and our meeting minutes, so anybody can see what we're doing with with our ratepayers' dollars. Um, you know, and and I believe our ratepayers, as evidenced by the board, feel satisfied with how we protect and utilize those dollars for their for their benefit. The flip side is we're also able to benefit the whole region, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, a lot of uh, really good discussion here. Appreciate you coming by the Extension Studio, meeting with Mike and I on the App 530 on Main podcast. Um, you'll notice over here to the right, there's this thing, confetti can, and it says no fireworks. Are, are you a fireworks, no fireworks kind of guy? Do you? Uh, we like to celebrate great things here with uh, confetti cannon. So do you want to shoot off the fireworks or do you want to pass it on to the next, uh, the next uh, individual? So one of our big functions each year is to produce the fireworks that are on the over the Ohio River. I have plenty of time to play with fireworks. We'll pass it along to the next. Program. All right, all right. So once again, everyone, thank you for uh, listening in to the At Five Thirty on Main podcast. Mike and I and Josh really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the conversation, please like it, share it on all the platforms. Uh, we appreciate any kind of reviews that you'll put out there. Five star, one star, it all makes us better. So uh, until the next episode. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of At 530 on Main, hosted by Sean Collins and Mike Davis. Please leave us a review and share your thoughts on today's episode. Let us know how you've been inspired or what you would like to hear on future episodes. 
And if you've enjoyed the conversation, help us spread the word. Share us on your social channels. Message a friend. Rate the podcast. Without you, this experience would not be possible.